Welcome to the Berkhamsted Spotlight, Berkhamsted School's podcast channel. Join our weekly guests from inside the classroom to behind the scenes of our day-to-day activities through to life beyond Berkhamsted School. Find out what it's really like to be part of our remarkable community. Remarkable community indeed. In this episode of the Berkhamsted Spotlight, we're talking to Olivia Haverson, a nutritionist who actually works for Chartwell's Independent, but she spends her time in the school because it's such an important role, especially for children in 2021. Olivia is about to explain to us the importance of pupils understanding their nutritional needs in order to lead healthy lives, how to cope with fussy eaters, and how parents themselves can support their own children over the summer months when it comes to having a good, balanced diet. But we also find out Olivia's remarkable moment and, as always, what she's changed her mind about over the last two years. This is a great episode. I'm sure you're going to love it. So let's dive on in now with nutritionist Olivia Haverson. Olivia, thank you for joining us here on the podcast. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm luckily working from home at the moment and enjoying the very rainy weather, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, it's been a good day so far, even without the sun. So rainy weather today, are you more of a rainy weather person or or a sunshiny weather? I'm going to guess sunshiny. Oh, definitely sunshiny. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're nearly at the weekend because we're recording this on a Friday. How do weekends usually look for you? Usually a little bit more socialising than I can do in the week. I'm actually going to Wales this weekend. Um, And that would be quite nice. I think the weather's better there than it is here, which is always nice. So, yeah, they usually look a little bit more relaxed, get some catch up on some sleep. That's pretty much it. Oh, good. Now, we're going to be talking about nutrition and uh, the role that you bring to the school. But given that we're talking about the school environment, I wonder whether you can just tell us a little bit about your own school that you went to, your own education, what part of the world you're from and what your own experience of school was like when you were younger. Yeah, so I grew up nearby to Berkhamsted. I grew up in um, Cambridgeshire and I went to an independent school in the area and it was it was really great. It was very um, similar to how Berkhamsted life is. It was very education focused. The the education I was provided with was f- phenomenal and it was very great to learn things all the time and kind of find myself within school life and that's had a knock-on effect in my in my older adult life but given me the skills that I needed hmm. to, to get here. And then after school, university was there? Yes, yeah, I went to Oxford Brooks University in 2015, like giving my okay. age away. Well, Oxford, good part of the world. Cambridge is too, of course. Yes. But let's let's bring it back to Berkhamsted for a second. Why is it important for pupils at Berkhamsted to understand their nutritional needs and how to lead a healthy life? So over the past year plus, um, it's become very clear with COVID that health needs to be at the top of the agenda. Um, and understanding what your body needs over what you want is important to lead a balanced lifestyle. And by this, I mean not shaming behaviours such as eating chocolate every day, but knowing that you need to make sure we eat five of our fruits and vegetables, the correct balance of other food groups. And when we do this, we feel our best within ourselves. And in school-aged children, their concentration and energy levels will be enough to sustain them through the whole day of school. Um, Mm -hmm. I've worked with children in various roles since I was 18. And the one thing I have learned is that 
children need to be given the tools to make their own decisions for mm -hmm. education to be effective and knowing what your body needs doesn't always translate to actually doing it the classic easier said than done however starting the conversation about health and nutrition from a young age and I'm talking nursery and pre-prep um, and getting them exposed to different things early on helps lay the foundation to support them over their lifetime mm. It's interesting that you mentioned about what our bodies need instead of what we want, because so often it's very easy, isn't it, to get the thing that we want as opposed to what we need. And it's it's not like our bodies are saying to us, you know, in any kind of verbal communication, I, I need more of the five a day, I need some greens. But our bodies do tend to sort of scream at us internally, at least that packet of crisps look really, it looks really nice. Uh, how, how should we go about handling that sort of conflict almost? I mean, first of all, have the crisps. There's no such thing. And um, I think demonising food is definitely something that's become a much more common thing recently and in the last couple of years. But also making sure that it is with fruits and vegetables. I, I, I like crisps. I also like hummus and it's a, it's a great protein source. Um, and then if you're going to have some crisps, you can have some hummus, you can have some carrot sticks, cucumber. It's just all about making those balanced decisions. And while you have the crisps and the chocolate and the cake, just making sure that at the same time you've had the fruits and vegetables too and making them a priority because crisps, you know, they, they you don't need to make them a priority because you want them. And I, I'm a crisp mm. lover too. Um, and mm. I'd never say don't, don't have anything. It's not about removing entire food groups at all. That's quite refreshing to hear. And uh, uh, it feels like a bit of a lifeline as well to anyone who does like crisps. I'm including myself in that as well. <laughs> but you also mentioned about the five a day and the importance of, of the fruit and vegetables. But in, in society, I sort of feel like to an extent we treat that as a comedy aspect. You know, maybe somebody has a gin and tonic in the pub and, and because there's a, a slice of lemon in there, we, we joke that that's one of our five a day, that kind of thing. Uh, should we be taking that more seriously? Yes. Yeah, so I do a lot of workshops, especially with younger children. And we talk about portion size and how you measure it in the palm of your hand. Um, the year ones at the pre-prep have recently discovered my crab dance, which... Uh, if you have a year one child, they will fantastic. definitely be able to show you. Yeah, it just basically involves putting your foot, your your hand into um, a kind of fist portion and just dancing around and doing it like that. It just helps them remember that is the portion because unfortunately you can't just have a piece of carrot and that's done. They need to have enough that's going to fill their bodies and it also helps them understand that it's tailored to them and it's specific to them. Okay, tell me a bit more then about this crab dance. How does that work? Because I'm intrigued by this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, when when we teach children about portion, we get them to kind of put their hands into a way that we just say the queen waves um, and you can put your palm together. And then if you crouch down and you get both palms up, you run around on the side like a crab does. Um, and it usually just gets them up for a minute, running around, and then gives them a second to kind of burn out a little bit of energy and then sit back down. I see. Right. Okay. I get it. Right. So it's a dance. Get the that blood pumping. Yeah. Got it. Yes. Right. Yes. Oh, and me, of course. There, there's there's a lot of <laughs> there's many pictures from my time within Chartwells of me doing this dance. Brilliant. Okay. So you mentioned Chartwells. Tell me about what the relationship is then between Chartwells and Berkhamsted. So Chartwells Independent is the catering company um, that I work for, and we provide school for all five sites on a daily basis for events, um, for events outside of school, such as weddings. And we are a 
a very big company. There are lots of different aspects within um, our parent company as well. But Chartwell's independent sole role is to cater for independent schools and the pupils that attend there and the staff. Okay. And then in what other ways do you yourself get involved in school life regarding nutrition? So I have regular communication with the heads of school um, to see what's important to them. And it, it bridges the gap that can be created between catering and school because the school has so many other things to focus on um, when it comes to the children. And food is, is what the catering company is in charge of. And then being that nutritionist, I kind of take into account what the school would like um, mm-hmm. and what we can provide and, and, and bring that together and make sure that we're always on the same page and any initiatives that I think would be important within the school can be implemented and working alongside the catering team and the school to make to make those to make those happen. So it feels to me like life has really moved on a long way from the likes of, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago when some of the people listening to this may have gone to school themselves, where there, there may have been just a company just providing food or there may have been just, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to call them dinner ladies because that's what we called them back then. <laughs> but But that seemed to be quite a sort of functional aspect of school life just providing food whereas now it's much more about working with the school to ensure there's a higher higher level of nutrition is that fair is that what I'm hearing yeah absolutely I mean we still have wonderful dinner ladies and dinner men but health is is just so important nowadays it's so it's it's intertwined in everything we do in the media and in social so it's making sure that that translates to translates to school life when it has such a a a large impression on a child going forward and when they're adults that I'm I'm a very firm believer in getting children when they're young and making it a consistent approach throughout their lifetime Um, and it's it's providing them with the tools that they're going to need going forward so yeah I think the the narrative has changed on health and especially nutrition and the development is 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 really great Luckily for me, <laughs> being a nutritionist, it is fantastic. Um, and I hope that we just kind of continue continue moving with it. So, Olivia, why is it that being a nutritionist is so important to you? Because I can sense in your voice that it's something you are deeply passionate about. But what caused that in the first place? What led you to where you are right now? Um, so I was actually, I wanted to be a midwife when I was at sick form. And it's very, very competitive and I just didn't get any places, to be quite honest. Um, oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I mean, I went, so I went to Brooks to get on the midwifery course. There was an 8% chance. And to be wow. a nutrition, on the nutrition course, it was 85%. So Wow. Okay. It, it was kind of, it was, funnily enough, a bit of a backup plan for me. But I have a very deep personal interest in food and health. And I love food. And I love exploring food and just finding out more. And I've always been a bit of a science nerd. So... Nutrition was almost a fallback, but I'm I'm very, very glad that that's where it's taken me in my life. And now working with children and kind of instilling the importance of health and nutrition in them is mm. is I'm very very glad that I'm here. <laughs> mm. Now you mentioned the children just now. How does the nutritional needs of children differ as they move through the school and go through the different year groups? So. With the younger children, so nursery age and stepping stones, they they need different amounts of certain food groups. Um, With especially youngest children, um, their brain development, they need full fat um, alternatives to milk and Mm yoghurts and cheese, that sort of thing. Um, So we have them implemented on the menus and we have to take that into account. They can also, this is the first time they've ever had food. So it's a very eye-opening time for them. 
mm. in terms of exploring. And it's very easy to get overwhelmed by anything, but that is so brand new to them. Mm. So regular exposure to foods for younger children is, is so important to make sure that they are opening up their taste palates and getting the food groups they need because this is generally an age where you can get some very selective eaters and fussy children around foods mm. and it's mm. it's it's working with them but also trying to expand expand the palate in a very relaxed way and you mentioned about fussy eaters i mean how do you how do you go about handling fussy eaters in school and and where do fussy eaters actually come from is, is that something that's that's sort of indirectly taught to children unintentionally i mean so it's, it's definitely a combination of things. And I mean, we've had success with the people that I spoke to um, the nursery about and his, his parents started eating with him at dinner and the foods that he ate at dinner were so much, he, he was much more likely to have that meal that before he would never touch. Um, and it's just, there are very small behaviour changes in young children that can help them. And I think a lot of it is about this overwhelming new kind of world for them with a all these foods, all these tastes, all these flavours. And the, the science side of it, if you start a child with strawberries, raspberries, apple, they're very sweet and innately they're going to like them. Whereas they're kind of, if you then start trying to introduce spinach and peas and broccoli, the flavours just aren't as strong and they're not as, as, as trusted going back to evolution so that you then have a harder time introducing them. So that's that's kind of a fascinating side of it for me with their behaviour. Mm. But it's just, mm. it's a lot for them at a very young age and their taste palette is very different. So should we be introducing things like peas and broccoli before strawberries and raspberries then? Yes, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, in the future, when if I have my own children, I will absolutely. Um, and uh, vegetables like avocados are fantastic. They're full of the fats that younger children need. They're like if I if I remember the one thing one of my lecturers taught me at uni, she was like, if anybody ever asks, it's dark leafy greens and avocados. They they are right. the, the the best of a general. She she would probably probably hate me for saying that now, but that's that's kind of something that's really stuck with me is that these these vegetables are so important, um, mm. and children just are so anti vegetable, and yeah. the government are doing massive. Uh, we work very closely with the government to support campaigns to improve children's relationship with vegetables. Okay, well, let's talk about that for a second, because you mentioned about campaigns and sometimes you get the likes of celebrities like, you know, Jamie Oliver on on a crusade to improve the quality of food in schools. Is that a good thing that he's doing? Is that uh, an idea that you promote? I presume that it is, but I'd love to know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any of the the campaigns with health at the at this the centre of it, they're they're really great. And uh, the one that we work on is eat them to defeat them. And it's a great engaging campaign that makes vegetables fun and that's a lot of what I I I work with especially with the with the nursery children I take in cooked and raw vegetables and they don't have to eat them they just get to play with them and make them out of things and I think it's about making children comfortable around foods Mm. in an environment where they don't have to try them they don't have to feel the pressure to eat them but Mm. they 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 can recognize them and understand why yeah I see I see Okay, so let's bring it back to the family then and the children at school. Over the summer holidays, what can parents do to support their children when it comes to eating more of a balanced diet? So definitely continuing with exposure. I think half terms and summer terms are really great opportunities 
to try things you wouldn't in term time because it is busy and homework is happening and it's all a bit it's all a bit crazy and children get very tired I mean I definitely do towards the end of term so it's a really nice opportunity to find the time to to cook or to bake um cooking with children gives them this extra level of responsibility and ownership mm-hmm. over something that if they perhaps if a parent was to cook for them or a carer if they get the opportunity to chop up some vegetables to put into it they take that ownership over it and they're more likely to try it mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. I've done workshops recently and we looked at vegetables that the children have actually been growing at school Mm. and they got to see them fully formed. I think their vegetables are in the the slow process of growing at the moment, but to see what they'll look like when they're ready, Mm. they're very proud of themselves that they've been able to grow these and they have a better understanding of where these foods come from. And it's just all about linking that back and making it personable to them and making them part of it rather than here is the food you eat it mm-hmm. getting them involved um, and yeah. also if if anybody is lucky enough to go abroad this year I'm not sure um, how <laughs> how possible that is but trying local cuisine and and exposing them to something that they they wouldn't normally have giving them that opportunity of something novel and a little bit exciting and that challenge it's always fun going on holiday and trying something new. Um, mm. So that's a, that's a great opportunity as well. Now, you mentioned earlier about not demonising food, and I, I fully take that on board. But is there a danger that the likes of you know McDonald's and Domino's and Pizza Express and, and any other chain like that, given the fact that they seem to be everywhere in the world now, so that when you talk about going abroad and tasting local cuisine... It, it, it can be very easy for children to see a McDonald's and just say, can we have a McDonald's instead? Is is there a, a, a level of duty or responsibility that some of these large international companies should be uh, adopting in order to prevent that from happening? Yeah, so it's actually really interesting you say that. I was on a, um, a team call today with the Central Nutrition team and we were discussing the behaviours of um, consumers within the fast food market and McDonald's actually do a lot to promote their healthier foods. And, and I don't say healthier, but the, the foods that have a better nutritional content at eye level mm-hmm. and specific things. So there's definitely things that they've, they've tried to do. I, I, I've been to France. I've seen McDonald's and my parents are always like, no, absolutely not. We have yeah, not come. Yeah. We have not come all the way here to eat at McDonald's. But it is it, it's very difficult. And a lot of it is about food safety and knowing and being comfortable with and that's what that's why exposure is just and I'll, I'll probably say about 500 times during this talk but exposure is so important to getting mm-hmm. used to trying new things mm-hmm. because for a child's mind constantly trying new things and being encouraged and it, it's, it, it is overwhelming and it's mm-hmm. falling back on what you know mm-hmm. but it's just giving giving them the encouragement there's not not pressure um i think that's really important to avoid is pressure around food but just mm. encouraging them giving them the challenge and giving them the space but also trying to to limit with mcdonald's and dominoes yeah and just just knowing that there is kind of there's other things out there no it does make perfect sense olivia tell me one thing you've changed your mind about in the past couple of years so it would have to be veganism i was okay. very when I was at uni, very dubious to the reasoning behind people doing it. There was 
a lot of celebrities adopt it. And I mean, Beyonce has said it in the media that she does it for health reasons and to, to lose weight. And it kind of fell into the, the fad diet almost category for me at the time. Now I have done Veganuary twice because I decided not to throw stones at houses that I've never been in. So okay, um, yeah. I tried it, I explored and... Now I, I, my mind's completely changed and I think the, the conversation around veganism and sustainability is so much bigger now and the availability of foods. I think the biggest worry for me was that people were going into it three, four years ago with no mm -hmm. understanding of how to replace the, the animal products that they were removing from their diet right. and right. making sure that they weren't falling into the deficient category from a, from a health perspective. That was my, my biggest concern. But I, I did it. It was not it was not terrible. I was absolutely fine. It was a bit of an eye opener for me, to be honest. Um, and it mm. really helped encourage my trying of new foods. At mm. the time I first did it, everything that was vegan was spicy in restaurants. And I didn't really do spicy foods, but I just had to cope. But now it mm -hmm. means I eat spicy foods and it's, it's had a knock on effect. I haven't had meat for 18 months. I've been a pescatarian since and... Okay. I realized that I didn't I didn't actually enjoy meat as much as I thought I did personally. So mm. I just cut it out, haven't missed it. And it really was very interesting to me as a bit, I was very judgmental about it. I absolutely put my hands up and say I was very judgmental about veganism um, as a mm -hmm. movement. And now I'm like, no, I think it's, I think it's a fantastic thing. And I think it's, it's doing a lot for sustainability and mm. the environment and education. There's just mm. a lot more to it now, I think, that's readily available. I think it's really interesting that you said that uh, even though you weren't fully pro it, you decided to try it because then you could at least experience it. Do you think that we all have a bit of a duty to to explore things that we might not be fully 100% supporting at the moment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's something that is becoming more more common. I have brothers and when I grew up, they would eat enormous amounts of chicken bacon mm. everything and now um, my twin brother is a vegetarian a full vegetarian he he hasn't eaten meat Gosh. for two years and wow. he is just a complete I, I don't say convert I don't think it's about that I think it's just about exploring finding something else new about yourself and and just mm. seeing what else is out there other than what we've kind of been raised on and Olivia in your time working alongside Berkhamsted for Chartwells What's been your remarkable moment there? So it's, it's been a bit of a short time, but I would um, definitely say working alongside the senior team at the girls' school and with the Chartwell's central nutrition team. So we we were developing a workshop and Liz Richardson at the, at the girls provided a great amount of um, advice and experience in the, in the beginning stages of the workshop development and then she supported a run through of the session with herself and other members of the senior leadership team and and school counselors to make sure it was the best it could be and i the the uni, the united united approach was exactly what i hoped for when i began this role last year mm. and it was mm. great for it to happen uh, and for them to be so supportive of it and i think it really showed that we could work together and it was also great that berkhamsted had such a large role in the development of that workshop and that's going to be mm -hmm. rolled out into the wider business and have such a, a large effect on everybody mm. else and on a very much smaller level um a child that i worked closely with at the prep school who we were, we were kind of 
working on broadening protein sources tried a tried a corn nugget the other day a, a kind okay. of a veggie nugget alternative um, yeah. and it was it was really great and she was really proud of herself I was really proud of her and it's just it's, it's small things that sometimes make all the difference so yeah, yeah there's definitely two one is one is quite um large scale and one's small scale but very important Olivia we're coming towards the end of this podcast recording but before we do bring it to a close when you're out with friends and maybe you're you're all collectively choosing what style of food to go for, what kind of restaurant to go for, what would be your top of the list? Oh, I'm I'm a Mexican food girl oh, okay. or I yeah. do love sushi. Sushi okay. is an absolute I love it. <laughs> if you had to choose one or the other, would it be Mexican or would it be sushi? Oh. I'm gonna say Mexican because generally I think sushi's a bit bit marmite. So if you're with a group of people got some some friends that would love it but others that would so mexican mexican's a good shout best okay bet. all right I'm, I'm impressed by that because you haven't just gone for the food you've gone for the how well it will go down in, in a social setting as well that's, that's an impressive yeah <laughs> excellent well look, olivia thank you for being here on this podcast if anyone's got any follow-up questions what's the best way for them to get in touch with the school um, so probably best to go through the school if they head to the website, uh, berkhamstead.com, to contact them and then they can get in contact with me from there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on to this podcast episode and thank you for being here. It's really good to talk to you. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. So that was Olivia Haverson talking about nutrition and children at Berkhamsted. Thank you, Olivia, for coming on to this episode of the podcast. You know, since talking to Olivia online, I was actually so inspired. I hired the services of an independent nutritionist to advise me further over the next 12 months on the things that I should be eating in life. So a personal thank you from me, Olivia, but more importantly, a collective thank you on behalf of everyone listening to this podcast, especially those with children who are planning those summer months. Now, don't forget that if you're not yet following this podcast channel, then now is the time to do so, because then when the next episode is released, you'll get a small notification to let you know that it's there. That just means that you won't miss it. That's for the next episode. But thank you for listening to this episode. And we look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye for now.